0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: You know, I'd love to say it was easy, but I had never been on a train before. So landing in Manchester Airport (laughs) with like a rucksack and like a a 50p bag that I bought on the side of the road in Kenya. I was just like, right, (laughs) this is serious stuff, man.
2: Welcome to the Adventure Podcast, and this episode with Ella Wright. Ella is a multi-skilled, multi-talented outdoors woman. These days she's a climber, but she's also a mountain biker, and has been involved in competitive sports since she was a child. She was born and raised in Kenya, and now lives in Scotland, where she works as an outdoor instructor. In this episode, we cover a broad range of topics, including the burden of competitiveness, identity as an African living in the UK, and how a near-miss in the mountains can reframe how you view everything. Okay, over to Ella Wright. So, let's start at the start. It would be, Ace, if you could talk me through what I understand was an interesting, and perhaps abstract, if you're like me from England, um childhood and yeah where you grew up and what life was like
1: yeah so uh, I think I think my upbringing was I mean I at the time of like being brought up I didn't think it was particularly special but then actually now living in the UK I look back on my childhood and I'm so grateful for everything that I went through and where I grew up um and yeah so I was raised in Kenya and it was the most incredible upbringing. Like we would we would go surfing in the mornings and our mom my, my mom would drop us off and my myself and my brothers would take our boards go surfing walk to school drop our surfboards off go to school come back and go straight back to the beach again and and then go home and then attempt to do some some sort of homework. Um And then, and yeah, so that was sort of like my younger years. And then when I was about 10 or 11, I went to school in South Africa. Um, Schooling was just a lot better out there. So it made, it definitely made us very independent kids, like boarding school at quite a young age. Um, And yeah, so when shipped off to boarding school, um, was there for three months and then I'd come home in the holidays. Um, And Yeah, my holidays. Oh, they were interesting. (laughs) Um, So I used to work in an elephant orphanage. So um, it was hand rearing of baby elephants that had that had basically um, whose mothers had been killed by uh, poaching or like human wildlife conflict. And so we would take in the babies and hand rear them um and so 14 15 year old ella um running around with baby elephants was at the time I didn't think was that cool but I look back at it now and I'm like oh my god thank that's amazing um (laughs) and um I'll never forget actually one day in a space of one afternoon I got charged by a baby elephant a rhino and a warthog. And it was the warthog that did the most damage. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was, that was sort of like my upbringing, but um, school-wise, like my schooling was, oh, I'm so grateful for it. I, I really got into my sport. So I played, um, I have played at some sort of national level for hockey, water polo and athletics and it was incredible it made me super competitive but i loved the sort of physical challenge of that so um so yeah so i was i was pretty busy um and i totally put aside any academics or any like reading of books to be honest it was like saving baby elephants in the holidays and then and then playing hockey and athletics during the term time um so that yeah that was sort of that was sort of my 18 my first 18 years of life um so it's pretty pretty exciting um and then um and then yeah so that's sort of my my childhood
2: <laughs> but how how do you think that shaped you and what has that given you as a person
1: so it's kind of interesting because I've actually really the the, the whole competitive side and the whole athletic side of, of schooling was brilliant but it really floored me actually because when i came into when i came into you know sort of adulthood i sort of left school left all of that side of life and then suddenly was thrown into the real world and i totally didn't know what to do um i then started working full time with the elephants but i wasn't getting that sort of fix of being in the outdoors and you know um that sort of the adrenaline that i was getting at school and so I then I then left working with the, with the elephants because I was just like oh like I I was actually putting on a lot of weight as well because I was like I was still eating like four thousand calories and suddenly like <laughs> I was getting like bigger and bigger um, and so it was actually my eldest brother who owned a mountaineering company in Kenya and he said to me listen come come and work on Mount Kenya with me come and you know just come and spend like a couple of months out there with me and let's just just see see how you do because I did not want to go to university for me university was like I don't know it was It was it was going to be a filler. Um, And I didn't like the whole scene of like university, the parties, the the, this and that. I mean, you could definitely study at university, but I had spent a childhood of not knowing how to study. So I knew what that was going to lead into. Um, And I actually had a full scholarship as well to to go to uni. But I really didn't want it. Um, And so, yeah, so I then I then sort of delved into working on Mount Kenya. And oh, it blew me away. Like I remember, I remember walking up Mount Kenya for the first time, thinking, "Whoa, this is cool! Like this is this is pretty cool." I mean, I was totally out of breath. It's like a five thousand meter peak. um And then, and then it sort of triggered like my sort of outdoor love. Like I was just like totally in my element. Just like I loved the 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 idea of adventuring off, exploring. You got to meet so many cool people. Um, And then with the sort of background of like being on Mount Kenya, I then started whitewater kayaking um, and rafting. Um, which was all, all like huge in Kenya. Like it's, we've got some incredible rivers. Um, and, and that was when I was getting my adrenaline fix because I was like, yes, throw myself off waterfalls and do all sorts of crazy things. Um And yeah. And then I, and then I got to escape into the mountains and sort of find my, find my love there as well. So it was super cool. Like that sort of three years of my life was like really exciting. Um And then, yeah, it's actually, um, it's actually a funny story how I realized, so I was obviously doing all of this and I was guiding people, but I had no qualifications. Like, I mean, I was literally a cowboy and I was, (laughs) and I remember there was, it was a particular trip and I don't mean to name drop, but he actually did really impact my life. um, Was Reinhold Messner came onto Mount Kenya. I had no idea who this guy was my my brother my brother said to me hey listen there um Ronald messner is like shooting a film on mount kenya and the female actress can't can't get out so do you want to play a role in the, in the film and I was like oh all right then um I was like "Hey, well, so what's the role and the role was a, a desperate girlfriend whose boyfriend had had uh, an epic fall on Mount Kenya. Um, and they were like refilming this. And I was like, oh, I could go desperate girlfriend. Go on, then, let's go. <laughs> um, and so I was going to then meet the team on the mountain. And I, I still didn't know who this guy was. I didn't even Google him. like I wasn't interested. Um, and um, and Julian said to me, listen, um, it's Reinald Messner's a 70th birthday or something I need you to bring up a chocolate cake um so there was me walking with my rucksack a chocolate cake in my hands and walking up the mountain (laughs) and it's raining it is it's like it's like a good four and a half hour walk and I remember being like man this guy better be worth it like come on (laughs) and then um and then getting up to, to the mountain and um meeting him and the first thing he does, does is he says, oh, thank you so much and offers me some whiskey. And I was like, oh, all right then. Um, and so sat at like 4,000 meters with Reinald Messner, eating this chocolate cake and drinking whiskey. And he said to me, um, and, and and at this point, I actually had asked one of his like main guys, so so who is this dude? Like, What's his crack? <laughs> and they were like, oh, well rinald messer and so they gave me the spiel and I kind of figured okay this is this is quite a big dude I, I better I better be on my best behavior um and so he sat me down actually that evening and he said so what's your story what are you doing and I said I don't know and I told him well this is kind of my life and I sort of kayak sometimes and I raft and um yeah I quite like walking up the mountain like it's pretty good fun and he was like you need to get qualified in this He's like, if you want to take this, like beyond here, you need to go and get qualified. And he and he said to me, do you have like aspirations of climbing bigger mountains? And I was like, yeah, I want to climb Everest, man. Like I want to I want to go all the way. (laughs) And um, and he was like, yeah, okay, well, go and get qualified. And the best place to do that is in the UK um and so yeah that's what I did and I got off the mountain after filming this film tell you what I was actually quite a good desperate girlfriend (laughs) (laughs) it was I was actually pretty pretty
2: good (laughs) I really want to see that (laughs)
1: um and um and I met some incredible people actually I, I got a chance to meet um um, the Ur brothers Um and they again you know inspired me just watching them move in the mountains and watching Messner move in the mountains I was like man I need to be this good I mean I, I never will be that good uh, I'll just throw it out there but like it, it was it was so inspiring um, and then yes yeah, so a couple of months later you know did all my research I was like okay outdoor Uh, qualifications UK and then boom like it was just there were courses there was this there was that and it just totally blew my mind and I was like right I'm off to the UK here I go Ella Wright (laughs) she's off (laughs) and um yeah so packed my bags and and moved to the UK and, and in pursuit of my sort of outdoor qualifications and um man you know I'd love to say it was easy but I had never been on a train before. So landing in Manchester Airport <laughs> with like a rucksack and like a, a 50p bag that I bought on the side of the road in Kenya, I was just like, right. <laughs> this is serious stuff, man. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was it was so challenging moving to the UK. I had no idea like where where to turn to next. And um, so I spent about two years trying to find my feet, um, trying to like build prerequisites and stuff to get onto the night watch scheme at Glenmore Lodge. Um, and yeah, it was, I think in those two years, as much as I'd love to say I learned loads in the outdoors, I actually learned a heck of a lot about the world. <laughs> like I did not know how complicated bus systems could be. Like. <laughs> <laughs> like it it was mind blowing <laughs> but yeah so so that was sort of my transition but it was to, to sort of sum all of that up it was it was really challenging actually coming from that sort of background and then coming into this world of mountaineering and like coming from a very competitive background to then coming into a world where there are so many outdoor people, there are so many women, there's so many men, and people really pushing themselves. And I found that really overwhelming. I found like I needed to be the best um, because I, that's all I knew. And that was really hard. That was super hard. And I remember beating myself up, and I still do. I really beat myself up when it comes to like head games and stuff, um, you know, always expecting myself to be something that I'm actually just not there yet um and so that that's that sort of pulling from that sort of background as as a, as a kid
2: so there's a lot I want to go back to over the course of you know that life um but first sorry why do you need to be the best
1: I think so I had two older brothers growing up I mean they they pushed me <laughs> who did they push me <laughs> I mean, I was talking to Julia today and we were talking about Easter egg hunts. I would cry if they got one more Easter egg more than me. Like, you know, it was it was a serious competition. Um, but when I went to South Africa, I had never played hockey before. I didn't know athletics, none of that. Um, and I remember really having to dig really deep because in South Africa, sport is such a big thing. And if you're not good enough, people almost look down at you in some ways and yeah and I and I remember being like well I need to be this and that's how I'm gonna show that I'm actually successful or that I am something and it's a pretty poisonous place to be and I think Because I kept that so deep down in me, I never really thought I could talk about that because I was like, oh, I like I I just have to be good. I have to be, I have to be okay. And never really talking about that, and then taking and then getting really good at school and then finding that worth, and then everybody else around me being like, Hey, check Ella, like, whoa, look, look at her go. And then going into the outdoors, I was like, well. I need to be the best. I need to be pushing in order for other people to see that I'm that I'm good enough. Um, and God, it's it's flawed me in so many ways. And it, it, but it's a I, I talk about it like when I say it's flawed me, it's a really good thing that I can appreciate it now because I can I can leverage it. Um, but it's taken me a long time to appreciate that. Um, and I brought that into so many different aspects of my life. Like I, from mountain biking to winter climbing, to summer climbing, like there is, there are times that if I don't do a route or I don't succeed, or I don't do what I plan to do, I get really down. I get really like, oh, Chanel, you're just not good at this. And I, you know, throw everything away and walk off and, you know, um, and but yeah, and, and, I, and it stopped me from ever progressing fast and the speed that I wanted to for a long time until actually breaking it down and sort of understanding um, my mind and understanding my back, my background. Um, and I think that's why I touched on the fact that I played professional sport. And it's not, not because I'm boasting at all about it, but it's simply because I can appreciate that those moments, those, those younger years was so valuable to was so so valuable as to who I am today and how that has really trans has really transformed me into the person that I was and am now. Um so yeah.
2: Yeah, we can't, you know, not to get all self-help about it, but we can't escape our past, can we? They are what they are.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
2: So what do you do with that now, knowing that you're that you are competitive and that you seek or need or occasionally look for like extrinsic motivation how do you combat that and or, or not or how do you channel it
1: so I mean it's an ongoing battle there's some days that are really good and there's some days that are really bad and I mean I I would be lying if I told you that this is what you've got to do and this is how you this is how you figure it out because realistically it's going to be something that I battle with and in fact I think everyone battles with in in some shape or form probably for the rest of their life but it's how you manage it and how you identify it Um, and for me I think I I've learned to talk about it a lot so if I'm out climbing with someone I'll say to them listen I don't enjoy snow slopes (laughs) (laughs) I get a little bit nervous so just stay with me and just bear with me and really being able to just tell people places that I, that I'm a little bit worried about or a little bit scared about. Um, and if I'm going to try a route that I, that I feel like could make me pretty anxious and may, may play with my head game a little bit. Um, I'll just be very honest with who I'm climbing with. Um, and I find that that really helps. And if and, and I suppose that also goes on to then who you climb with and who you do things with. Like I used to just go and do adventures with anyone and everyone. And some people didn't really respect that. Actually, she just needs a little bit of time or she just needs to figure this out. Or Ella actually listens to music when she climbs and that's okay because that just calms her down. <laughs> um and some people didn't quite respect that. And that's simply because I didn't tell them. And so and if and and most people in the outdoors, especially like they love all of your 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 quirks, I suppose. Um, and so it's really it's, it's really being able to communicate that and being able to 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 actively, you know, show that. And also it, it brings out things in other people because they're like, you know what? I did that once. And this is how you fix that. Or or this is how I fixed that. Um, And yeah, and read books and do all of the things that actually really help you sort of understand out your mind. It's it's super complex.
2: (laughs) Yeah. No, it's amazing. You're so honest about it. It's brilliant because um, I think like the expedition work I've done and things like that and lots of time in the mountains has really taught me that actually it's really easy to be uh, to put on a facade of bravery like as in it's it's not particularly clever or particularly talented, like actually sharing your vulnerabilities, that's brave. And actually it's mature and it's clever because if you've got an injury or if you're scared, your partners need to know that you're injured or scared, right, because otherwise you're making things worse. But also I think sharing your vulnerability, I've had to learn, especially as, you know, we're growing up as a northern, you know, white male in England, like we don't do vulnerable so, learning to be vulnerable. You, by being vulnerable, you give those around you permission to be vulnerable, which I think for somebody like you is a you know a hugely positive thing to be able to do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally,
2: totally.
1: Um, yeah. I I couldn't agree with it more. Yeah.
2: So, why are you scared of snow slopes?
1: <laughs> um, I'm terrified of snow slopes. It's so <clears throat> my my partner and I, Jack. Um, we we were climbing on the ben last season. And it's it was one of those days that we shouldn't have gone climbing. And I should have been totally honest with how I felt. But I to be very honest, I was trying to impress Jack and I was trying to, you know, keep keep it all together and be this big brave woman that I think I am. Um and we went on to we went on to the ben. That morning I woke up and I didn't feel like climbing. And I remember saying to Jack, oh, I just don't really feel like it. Um, but I- I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'll, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And um, we started to walk up and we knew that there was a storm coming in in the afternoon. Um, uh, but we, you know, we, kept, we, we, we thought that we'd, we'd move fast enough and it would be OK. And we went up and we did zero gully on the bend, which is quite a notorious route for being like really, really horrible belays. And it is it is a super hard route. Um, and they started. There's loads of spindrift coming down, and the storm came in a lot earlier than anticipated. And I think one thing led to, led to the other. We 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 topped out full whiteout on the top of the Ben um, that morning. I had swapped my rucksacks and I'd forgotten to put my map and compass into my bag. Got to the top, realized that. So we got into Observatory valley, trying to pull ourselves together. Realized that both our phones were on like two percent. And we needed to get down pretty prompt. Um, so Jack, being the incredible mountaineer that he is, he was like, "Right, we're going to go down, um, go down the CMD Arete, um, and then we can ab off um, from the abseil points." And so he navigated us down. God knows how he did it. Like I was literally just following him, uh, <laughs> and we got to the abseil points. Uh, actually, we'd shot past the abseil point slightly um just I I suppose just being pretty disorientated like it was it was it was nerve-wracking it was it was terrifying and I remember walking across the arete and there was loads of snow hitting me on my left hand side and obviously dumping uh on the right and we didn't clock this also we'd forgotten our lunch so you know we we were we were rolling on on pretty little at this point (laughs) and um Jack, uh, Jack said to me, "Right, we can just down climb this bit, and then we'll, we'll and then we'll, we'll just shoot down, and we'll sort of be away from the wind." And I remember being super tired and just being like, "Oh, Jack, do you mind just giving me a belay on this? Like, I'm, I'm boxed. I'm really tired." He's like, "Yeah, absolutely." So he he slung the the rope around him and, and lowered me down. And the, the 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 plan was, as soon as I got to the base of the the rocky outcrop, I'd untie, and um and we would then sort of scuttle down. And I remember getting to the bottom of the rocky outcroft and just being like, you know what? I'm just gonna keep the rope on for a little bit longer. And I don't know why I did that. I just there was something, there was something that just said, keep the rope on. So I started to walk down the snowy slope. And everything above me just crashed. And it was all of that snow had would obviously been loading on those, on those slopes. And um, and then yeah, and I got I got. I got pretty buried, but still had the rope attached to me. So I was able to dig pretty quick um, and popped out. And and then it, me being really panicked, I was like, oh my God, like, you know, I've just been an avalanche. Like, this is this is crazy. So I start climbing back up towards Jack. And so get back up to Jack. And Jack's like, You're right, Ella. And I was like, oh my God, am I all right? No way. <laughs> and um, he was amazing with me he just like he kept me like totally solid um, and said right well let's just let's get you need to go back down Ella like that slope is avalanched you know we can do this and I was like no ways we are walking the ridge and this is like eight o'clock at night now or seven o'clock at night we end up walking the ridge someone who's just been avalanched is pretty wobbly on their feet like they're, they're pretty nervous Um, And so it took, it took Jack about two hours to get me down. I like every little bit of snow just was like, no, 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 this is going to have lunch. It was not going to have lunch. But he was just, he was amazing. He just like, you know, got, we just, we got down. And I remember getting down and just being like, that's it. I'm never, I'm never mountaineering again. Like there's absolutely no ways. And I didn't touch the winter all of last season. So this season, coming back into the winter i was like wow this is going to be this is going to be make or break it um and i mean the first the first day out in the winter i remember getting to just a patch of snow and bursting into tears and like totally wobbly couldn't do it just absolutely freaked out um and it has been an amazing process to work through that because i've had i've been i've had to be totally vulnerable and really accept where I was because I had to either I just gave it all up I gave up all of like the years of years of experience the years of practice and walk away from from the industry walk away from the outdoors or become vulnerable and start to learn again and it has been such a process, like, I mean, I, I mean, I'm not perfect yet, but we we were on the Ben a few weeks ago, and I was down climbing. I was down climbing this this section um, high up on the keys, and I like sort of sort of by the cascade wall, and we were daggering down, and I was with Hamish Frost, and I looked at Hamish, and I was like, I can't believe I am actually down climbing, like it was. It has just been a winter of so many ups, downs, tears to everything, and just people being so supportive and so understanding, and just being like, "It's okay," and for me to totally accept that it was okay, and just allowing myself to just slowly, slowly work back up, work, work my confidence back up. Um, Yeah. I, I'm stoked. I, like, I can't even I can't even begin to tell you like how how amazing that feeling is to just be like, this is where I am. And I am terrified but I am totally OK with being totally terrified because I'm going to work at it and I'm just going to keep going, keep going, keep going. And I'm going to learn. Um, and it's yeah, it's, it's been pretty special.
2: No, but that's what's amazing about that story is it's not just you're trying to get back to where you were it's your learning from what happened to you and you're trying to take it to beyond where you were right
1: yeah and, and with that it's made me so aware like you know i can i can now watch other people and there've been so many times this winter that i've been able to watch different characters that i've been out in the mountains and be like oh this is going to scare them so how am i going to make them feel safe and i could i would never have been able to have done this had i had that experience not happened to me and and you know, Jack, being Jack, he he's learned so much from that as well. And being able to watch me progress this winter has been amazing because we've just been able to bounce ideas off each other. And I've been able to to watch him, other guides, other other instructors, other friends do things, and I actually have an input because I'm like, well, why are you doing that? Like, why why is that safe? And having that voice to question people is so important. Never ever ever. Will I ever go back to being in the outdoors and just assuming that everyone knows what they're doing? Just question it and have conversations. Nobody's going to be irritated by that because it's simply you're just going to become a far better person in the outdoors if you are constantly willing to learn from other people and question other people.
0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's, I, I believe that's everything. I believe, you know, sponging that information from other people. But yeah, no, amazing. I didn't know that story. I accidentally stumbled upon that one. <laughs> um. There was one line you just said that it was amazing. I don't know if you realized you said it. You said, I'm not perfect yet.
1: <laughs> oh, no.
2: <laughs> I mean, that's, <laughs> that's so telling. It's so good.
1: <laughs> oh, but I don't, I don't, you know what? I don't think anyone ever is. No one ever will be, but we can all aspire to be that.
2: Yeah. So, what do you do now in the, like, as in, living working playing
1: yes so I am a freelance outdoor instructor so I go from at the moment I've just passed my my winter mile, which is a really an amazing ticket to have um so that will really open up my next winter to being able to take people into the into the outdoors um and in the summer I do oh bits of everything jack all trades master of none <laughs> um, so i'll go to rafting kayaking um mountaineering um I'm hoping to now sort of start going Going more into the sort of summer climbing, not because I have this like burning desire to climb in the summer, but it's simply because I have to have my summer climbing in order to have my winter climbing instructor, and that for me is is the gold nugget. <laughs> I um, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to being able to take people uh winter climbing um, and sort of being able to instruct that more. So that that's sort of my my sort of goals. Um, yeah.
2: Because so, I think it's a really interesting one. You know, this podcast has a really diverse audience now and I I think when I, this is a huge stereotype and I'm guessing, but when people think of mountains, generally they picture the kind of Himalayas and people walking up snow slopes and clipping into fixed ropes and things like that and prayer flags. But Scottish winter climbing is this very unique, very difficult, dangerous, just miserable experience <laughs> that's totally unique to scotland you know it's like there's a reason people train there to go and do hard stuff around the world absolutely what, what is it that appeals to you about scottish winter climbing so much
1: well i suppose to, to give to give it a little bit of a backstory is i i didn't really i, I enjoyed summer climbing Um, But I'd had a lot of pretty negative experiences when I first started uh, summer climbing. So it got me really scared of climbing. So when I did my year at the lodge, I went into winter climbing as a complete novice. And I made sure that I climbed with people who were sort of at my grade, you know, sort of just starting in the winter and just going into that intro. And so we always went out on really nice days and really enjoyed the mountains of low winds. And I just started to build my own confidence. And so I started to build this sort of foundation, this foundational love for for winter on my own, on my own basis. Um, And then I started to see certain lines in the winter and being like, Ooh, that looks really cool. And, and then I started climbing with people that were a lot better than me. And I would just go with them and just start seconding. And, First, yeah, and then we we started then we started to go out in slightly more challenging conditions. And because I had worked on Mount Kenya, and I've done sort of over 50 ascents of Mount Kenya in really bad weather as well. And then suddenly being able to bring that into, into Scotland so I know what bad weather feels like, I'm in a place that I feel pretty comfortable in because I've already got this like love for, for winter. And then, and then, but be, but but still being able to breathe, which was a massive thing. You know, Mount Kenya, you're like in really bad weather, and you're getting absolutely plummeted, and you can barely feel, you can barely breathe. So then, you know, you can you, you can almost control it when you're in Scotland. You you know, it's just it's just this incredible training ground. Um, and to to be honest the kit that I was wearing was keeping me pretty warm as well. So even though it was just this surreal, like surreal weather and surreal everything, you're just kind of happy. And for me, the mountains have always been a bit of an escape. Like there've been sometimes some crazy things happening in reality. And when you're out in the mountains, like, it does sound cliche, but it genuinely is true. Just none of that matters. Like it's you and your climbing partner or climbing partners, and you're just out having a really good day. And it doesn't matter how much money you've got or what car you drive or what's happening, where your background is, who you are. It's just all about just there, and the conversations are simple. And you just you just climb, and Scotland does all the talking. To be honest, (laughs) it's like this insane wind which we've had this winter. Or it's this, you know, or it's this ridiculous route that has got absolutely no gear, and you are balancing everything on like the tiniest dimple of rock or ice. um, And just everything just doesn't matter because you're so focused on what you're doing right there. And it's an escape. And for me, winter there's so much other stuff going on that you just simply don't have time to think about anything that's going
2: on below
1: whereas in the summer today it's kind of chill isn't it <laughs> i mean it's sunny right
2: <laughs> not in scotland
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> getting midged in the ear <laughs> yeah
2: yeah but does scotland feel like home
1: um i couldn't i no I know it doesn't it doesn't it's got it's got a totally different feel um and I think I think that's why I quite like it because it just feels so different um every time you every time you go out into the hills everywhere you go even if it's the the fifth time on the bend that week it still feels different to the day before um but yeah
2: yeah so let me deliberately rephrase it being difficult on purpose so it's not Africa but does it feel like your home now
1: in Scotland yeah I don't know um in some ways probably yes yeah yeah I I, I definitely feel like in the last two years I felt more at home here because I understand how the buses work. <laughs> um but yeah I feel pretty settled here at the moment um, I'm in the in the process of getting my British citizenship and it's all feeling pretty real um and with the, with my British passport you know I'm able to go and travel more now if I want to but in all honesty I feel pretty at home here um but I definitely feel like Scotland's probably always going to be the base to come back to but some pretty big plans to to go abroad and go to go to other places and explore explore new places um, for a while. But, yeah,
2: yeah. And this is going to sound like a really weird question. I've been sat here thinking, should I ask this? Should I ask this? Because it uh, <laughs> go on then. Well, no. I'm gonna. I just trying to think how to phrase it. But do you feel? Oh fuck! Do you feel African? Yes,
1: absolutely, hundred percent. I. It's like so. Like, I mean. I, I feel, I feel so, so different to the normal British girl. Yeah, it, it's, yeah, I, I don't even know how to describe it. Like I've come from a background of like, I don't know, Kenya. And it's, it's, it's just so different. It's so different. And the way of life out there is so different. Um, and I've always felt like a little bit of an outcast here. Definitely always felt like a bit of an outcast. Um, and i've always felt quite quite like oh you know can can i can i is that an appropriate thing to say i don't know um because kenya is kenya definitely it, it's my blood it, it shaped me into the, into the person i am um and i think anyone who's brought up in a different country whenever they go to a different place they'll always feel a little bit a little bit i don't know a little bit different um but i really like that i like different i i do like it
2: I know because it's it's strange in a way, like I'm not I won't make this about me, but I, I definitely feel English. I'm British, particularly British, and I'm really proud of it, but very confused at the moment because there's lots I don't like. But I just couldn't ever leave because it just feels like it's of me. And I just think, mm. you know, I asked this wholly kindly, but when you were growing up, you know, surrounded by elephants and warthogs and having Mount Kenya and everything that you did, how is anywhere else enough as a base?
1: Maybe it never is. I don't know. Like I think the the sort of childhood that I had will I'll always carry that into everything that I do and everything and everywhere that I go. Um, but I mean, I I went to boarding school at such a young age um, that being independent in places that are very different it's it's, it's in my blood, right. um, and and I. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, it's funny because a lot of my Kenyan friends, um, they all went home. They all are still in Kenya. And I'm sort of the black sheep who just never came back. <laughs> um, yeah. And and I, and I do go back to Kenya. Yeah, I try and go back once a year at least. Um, and it's always so good. And it makes me appreciate home more than I ever did as a child. Um But I also know where my heart lies. And I love the mountains and I love the adventure that is literally on our doorstep in Scotland, which it is in Kenya. Like you do get the adventure. I mean, just walking out the door, you could be eaten by a lion, but it's a totally different, it's a totally different adventure. And I know that my heart sort of really lies in the mountains and being able to do sort of adventury things. Um, and I need to, and I need to keep that, that sort of burning desire where well, I need to conti- let it keep burning. Um, and yeah, and until then, yeah, we'll just have to see where, where that takes me. But yeah.
2: Amazing. Yeah. Ace, hey, it's such an awesome insight into a di- different way of living and being brought up, I suppose.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: So I'll draw it to a close. Um, I always ask everyone the same two questions at the end of every podcast. So interpret them however you choose. But um, what scares you? Mm, Apart from snow choice. slopes,
0: <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: I think hmm, it's a really good question. <laughs> I think it would it would probably always be. Um, What if I'm never good enough? Um, And I think that's something that I have to work on within myself for quite a long time. Um, When 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 am I good enough? And I I don't. I'll try my best to try and describe that, but it's more just. I think coming from from a background of you know always being judged by other people and working, having coaches and mentors, and them always telling you you know, if you were good enough or not. I never learned how to acknowledge when actually I am good enough. or and I, and I think I'm still working on that. And I think it really scares me sometimes that I may never see how much I've progressed. Um, and I, I think I give myself a really hard time sometimes with that. Um, so really trying to understand that side of me and actually being like you know what that was really cool that you did it like that you may have not got what you totally wanted but what you did do was amazing um and just breaking off those small little pieces along the way because it's not always about the biggest mountain or the biggest climb or the biggest bike ride it's 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 the everything that builds up to that you know that's what you're going to carry it's not like Okay, I'm going to get on my bike today, tomorrow, ride down Kilimanjaro. Okay, that, cool. But what did you do to get to that point where you had the ability to do that? Um, and I think it, for me, it's really being able to, to, to appreciate that more in myself. And I'm really scared that I'm never going to learn how to do that. Um, so I'm still very much in the in the process of trying to understand that within myself.
2: Nice. brilliantly honest thank you um what brings you hope
1: um to be very honest i just see it all around me all the time there are people who god they just they just have this unreal drive and this incredible passion within themselves and that gives me hope because we are like all of my friends, all of the people I get to meet in the mountains, they are all just normal people like you and me. They really are. And they just had this burning passion that they just pursued. And I just find that so inspiring because I'm like, well, everyone has it and you just have to you just have to do it. And you just have to be patient enough to allow yourself to make the mistakes. Um and that that really gives me
2: hope. Amazing! Thank you very much. We'll leave it there. Okay,
1: amazing.
2: Thanks for listening. For more information, visit the Adventure Podcast at or stay in touch on Instagram at the Adventure Podcast. The podcast is hosted by Matt Pycroft and is produced and distributed by Ola Murray and Alex Hall. If you want to email us or get in touch, then you can do so at info at theadventurepodcast.co.uk. And please do leave us a review on iTunes. They help us to reach a wider audience.